Um, so if you've been with us, we're going through the series, Genesis 1 through 12. We're talking about um, the origin of everything. We're talking about the origin of space, time, matter, humanity, good, evil, justice, all of it. And so today we're talking about the origin of marriage. And I'm guessing that most of y'all have heard a sermon on marriage before or read books. And so I want to start by asking y'all, what do, what do you want to tell me about marriage? If I'm going to complete this sentence, marriage is hard. Why? Is something wrong? Or? <laughs> no, he's great. He's great. Yeah, what else? What? It's cool. Work. Unconditional. Okay. How about people from this side? What do you have to say? Single and married people, not just married people. Marriage is covenant. Dying to self. Okay, let me ask you this question. And I know, I know there's going to be things that you're not going to say out loud, but what do you want God to say to you about marriage? And with that cliffhanger, I'm going to ask our uh, scripture reader. I don't know who it is today. Who's reading scripture? Okay, thanks, Allison. Twenty-two, twenty-four through 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we come into your presence this morning. We are already here. We're already worshiping you. Uh, some here are, I'm sure, just curious. Uh, some are here... They just feel like they need to be here and, and not even sure why. And so, Lord, I pray that you would keep your promise, that you, you promise that every time you bring your word to people, uh, that it accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent, that you love people and you want all people to know you and to be in relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray that today, wherever we are, however we are coming into this morning, Lord, that you would allow us to sit at your feet, that you would calm and quiet our minds and our hearts. I pray that whatever we have brought in, uh, preconditions, preconceived notions, filters through which we want to hear what you have to say so that it fits what we, we want, um, that we would lay that down in submission to you, Jesus, as the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep to lead us to abundant life in you. Lord, would you do that for us? Because we are desperate for you. Lord, we, we need you. We are frail. We are weak. Uh, we are swimming in waters all the time that are speaking uh, things contrary to the truth of your love for us in Christ. And so, Lord, we need to be encouraged. We need to be um, 
rebuilt. We need to be transformed. And Lord, you are the only one who can do it. And so um, thank you that you will. And we, we ask these things in uh, confidence in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so this, this very short passage, uh, this, you know, as we've said, if you've been with us, we said that Moses wrote the book of Genesis um, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and this is what the Lord had for his people. So the first audience is the people of God who are coming out of slavery in Egypt. And so these two verses here are uh, like a commentary from Moses on marriage. Moses reads everything that comes before this. We talked about that last week. And Moses is saying here that what happened, this marriage between Adam and Eve, was not just a marriage between Adam and Eve. It was actually a pattern that God was setting for humanity for all time. Jesus affirms this in Matthew 19 when he says, Have you not read... Uh, he, he's talking about marriage. People are asking him about divorce. And he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, and then quotes uh, verse 24, that's our passage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And then in Ephesians 5, Paul reveals this mystery to us that this is really about Jesus and his people. He says in Ephesians 5, uh, quoting Genesis 2.24, says, this mystery is profound. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So marriage is this living play. It's this living testimony uh, of God's love for his people. It is this living testimony of how God came, left his home, put on skin, and came and gave himself for his bride, which is all of us, all of his people, the church. And that's why, um, you know, we're talk through uh, several things here, but that's why for those who are following Jesus that same-sex marriage is, is not what he's shepherding us into because of the, the very nature of what this is. This is, as we said before, Man and woman, these two counterparts, uh, God is saying it, they, they, they're alike in ways, but they're also different. And it's the coming together of different that is this picture of me, holy, perfect God, coming together with my people. Um, and, and it's this picture of marriage uh, that, I mean, of all the things that marriage is, that is the most central thing. And so, um, Jesus says not all of his people will experience human marriage in this life, that that is normal, that it is not the norm that every single person in this life will experience marriage. So going back to that Matthew 19 passage, um, Jesus teaches about marriage, and then after teaching about marriage, the disciples, his disciples say to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry like what they're saying is like what you've just told us about marriage and what it is and what it's really there for sounds really, really hard. And if that's what it is, then maybe it's best that none of us get married. And then Jesus says to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it's given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. There are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. 
We've talked about this word in here before, but just so that we're all on the same page, that word eunuch, what that is, is uh, that is a man who uh, it actually can mean several different things, but essentially uh, is a man who either uh, was born uh, very effeminate. It is a man who, uh, because of a position that he holds in a kingdom in, in one of these cultures in the ancient Near East or in the Roman government, uh, was made so, like had his testicles removed so that he could not be a threat to the throne and hold a high position in the kingdom. Um, it, was, it was covering also people who were just born with certain things, whether they're intersex or, or some other issue where um, their experience of sexuality was not the same as most other people. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, to those of us in Nashville 2023, I know about all these things. Like this is not some antiquated, like Jesus has no idea what we're dealing with now He's saying, no, 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 I, I know. There are eunuchs for all sorts of reasons. There are people who are asexual. There are people who are intersex. There are people who are attracted to the same sex. There are people who are attracted to the opposite sex who will not get married because they are following me and I am calling them to celibacy and singleness. That is a normative thing. That's not a plan B. And it's really important that we hear that and, and live out of that is that to be single is not a plan B for someone's life. To be single is just as valid a vocation of someone as is marriage. And there are going to be people who are following Jesus who are single and who are married. And both of those things are a gift in a way that he gives himself to us and we give ourselves to him. So in this little passage, the reason we have to go here first before we talk about marriage in Genesis 2 is one... As the disciples pick up on in verse 10 of this passage from Matthew 19, marriage is not this dream that we idolize. Marriage is not about us. It's not about personal fulfillment. It's not about uh, me getting my emotional and sexual needs met. And when we hear what it's really about, we're like, wow, it's still good, but it's also really hard. Because it is a giving of myself away. Remember what it's a picture of. It's a picture of Jesus who gave himself away for his people. And then we, in return, give ourselves away to him. And so marriage is good, but it's also hard, and it's not about me. And Jesus is saying, many of my people will not marry because of their obedience to me and what I'm calling them to. And, and those are people, people who are single and people who are married. I love them just the same. I love them just the same. So I want everyone to hear this. No matter what you experience sexually, you, you are not cursed by God. He does not love you any less because of anything that you experience. He loves all of his people the same. One example of somebody who is called to a life of singleness is the Apostle Paul. And he says a few things in 1 Corinthians 7, but just a couple I want to highlight. He says, it's good to be single like me, and I wish that everybody was single. You know, I come to think of it growing up in the South, I don't think I've heard that much in the church. He says, quote, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. What's he saying? He's saying God is giving all of his people a gift. He is actually, the gift is himself, 
And for some of us, it's wrapped up in singleness. And for some of us, it's wrapped up in marriage. He also says, if a woman's husband dies, she's free to remarry. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains single. Can I get an amen from the ladies? <laughs> but I love what he says too after this. He says, and I think that I too have the spirit of God. Like, yeah, Paul, you're probably good. You wrote like half the New Testament. I think you, I think you do have the spirit of God. So I'm going to trust what you say. Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 7 that there are pluses and minuses in both marriage and singleness. Yes, there is beauty in marriage. Yes, to have the physical, tangible expression of God's love through another person is a gift. But he also explains that we are all frail and we are all sinners. And so uh, when you put two frail sinners together in marriage, you're dealing with double the amount of frailness and sin. So he's saying you will have anxieties in marriage because of that. And when you are single, part of the gift of being single is you won't have to deal with that. And you will be more free, more free to, to you know, we don't have time to get into all of it, but it's like, um, go back and read 1 Corinthians 7 for, for a really healthy perspective on, on marriage and singleness. So I, I think one thing that is probably necessary is for the church to repent of the way that we've talked about and taught on marriage, at least in the course of my life and where, where I have been. Um, we have really Americanized and romanticized and Hollywoodized marriage and um, to a lot of pain for a lot of people. And um, yeah, we, we've selectively taught from scripture and that whole first Corinthians seven just kind of disappeared. And the way we functionally acted is if, if, you know, God is pleased with you and loves you, he's going to bless you with a smoking hot wife or a smoking hot husband, and you're going to have no problems. You're going to be able to have kids and everything's going to be sunny side up for the rest of your life. Um, and if not, then something might be wrong or you might need to pray more or you might have sin that you haven't confessed. And um, just a lot of damage has been done. And so uh, if I'm allowed to do this on behalf of the church, I'm sorry. Um, it's not good. And so you guys may have noticed uh, the book table we had out there today. We don't usually do that. But um, these three books that we, we grabbed copies for, for us, um, just sexuality, singleness, like this has just been this thing that I feel like um, we need help. Like we need help walking through the noise and understanding like, Lord, what are you calling us to? And so these are three books, not the only three, but three that we have read together as the, the leadership of this body and felt like these are really healthy perspectives to help shepherd us through these things. Um, yeah, so, uh, and I will say um, this one, Preston Sprinkle wrote this. Uh, he's got another book called Embodied uh, that was very helpful for me for preparing for the sermon last week. So you can write that down. We, we didn't have a chance to get that. But um, those are free. So just pick those up. And if we run out and you need one, let us know. Um, so with all of this, with marriage, singleness, no matter where you are in life, um, 
As I was thinking about praying about this sermon this week, uh, God kept bringing to mind John 21. And if you're familiar, it's where Peter is walking with a resurrected Jesus and the apostle John is just a few steps ahead of him. And there's something about John's life that Peter is a little jealous about or what he thinks about John's life. And so Peter is coming to Jesus, and I, I think this is applicable to all of us when we think about marriage and singleness. Some of us feel like we have a really bad marriage, and so we see single people or we see people who we think have a good marriage, and we're like, hey, that's not fair. What about them? Or uh, people who are single see married people and say, hey, that's not fair. What about them? And I think what Jesus says to Peter here is what he says to all of us. Uh, if that is my will for them... What is that to you? You follow me. Because at the bottom of all of this, that is the only question that there is, is no matter what I'm experiencing, I'm not the shepherd of my own life. I don't know everything. And every day I have to make the decision, Jesus, do I trust you to be my shepherd and to lead me to abundant life or not? And he's saying, please, trust me, let me lead you. So now we're ready to hear about marriage from Genesis 2. Moses says, uh, therefore a man will leave his father and mother. So why, why the man first? Um, again, we go back to what marriage is. It's this play. It's this testimony of God's love for his people. So this is a picture of Jesus leaving home and coming to the unfamiliar, to the uncomfortable, to suffer to make a new home for him and his bride. And so that's the picture that we have in marriage of a man moving first and doing this and creating a home of love for his bride, and then she leaves home in response to his leaving home. And they create something new together. And it's like us with our Jesus, is we respond to him leaving home, and so we leave home too. We leave our old life and, and create a new life with him. Um, too often it works in the reverse and it's me demanding um, that my wife recreate my old home and, and things need to be the way that I want them to be to be comfortable or vice versa. And um, that's not what marriage is. And that's not, you know, I, I do that with Jesus too is I, I demand that he make life comfortable on my terms uh, in a way that I want to see life go. Um, but that's not what my marriage is to him either. So it's not just leaving, but it's also being aware of how our past, how our families impact and shape us and submitting all of that to Jesus, whether we're married or we're single. So we leave, the man leaves his mother and father, and then it says, and holds fast to his wife. And that word holds fast is like fuses together. Um, it is this, this coming together absolute in every way, physical, emotional, spiritual, in all things. It's continually treasuring my wife over my career, my hobbies, my kids, my family of origin, the opinion and affection of all other women, all other people. Uh, over my own comfort, and it's not dependent on the way that she treats me. Because again, that's the picture of Jesus' love for us, is he is choosing in his love and his power to lay himself down and to fuse himself to us 
We are united to him forever and is not at all dependent on our behavior day to day in response to his love. So that some of this fusing together, it, it is sexual, um, but that's not all that it is. But that is part of what it is. And in, in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, um, Paul talks about how sex is, a, is for the binding of this union. That is, that is part of what God is doing in putting a, a portion, it says, of his spirit into this union of the man and the woman's spirit and, and making this new thing, making this new family. And sex is this gift that's tangible part of this, just like we celebrate the sacraments as, as tangible experiences of God's love for us in the Lord's Supper and in baptism. Um, some people would say that sex is like a covenant renewal ceremony between a man and a wife, a tangible expression of two becoming one. But here's the thing. Here's what Paul also says for all of our single brothers and sisters. Sex, now this is like uh, as countercultural as it gets. Sex, physical expression of sex with another person is not necessary to be human or to be healthy. Remember, Paul says, I wish you were all like me. There, there is, it, you are not living uh, less of a, a human experience. You are not living unhealthily. You are not living, uh, you, you are still able to Im, embody your sexuality without the physical expression of sex with another person. And we just need to say that. We need to get that on the table because that is reality. That is not what we're swimming in day in, day out, what we're filling our heads with and filling our ears with, but that is reality. And so this whole thing of holding fast, of leaving and cleaving, uh, as another translation puts it, that's why um, for a Christian, another thing that's off the table in following Jesus is cohabitation or casual sex or long-term dating with no marriage. Because really, there is no leaving. There's no official leaving and there's no official fastening together um, without the covenant of marriage. It's, it's actually the only thing that is left for it to be is this self-love uh, expressed in the way that I am with this other person. Because I want all the benefits of marriage without the um, reigning in of my freedom. And I want the safety net of if things don't go a certain way, then I can always pull out and there's no consequence. But y'all, that is antithetical to the gospel because that is not how Jesus loves his people. And so as we live in marriages and we live in singleness and the way that we date and the way that we interact with people, um, we need to be, pay careful attention to this that um, all of that is off the table to, to you know, be sexually active with somebody or to live with somebody in that way uh, and to not be married is, is not the gospel. And it says um, that the two will become one flesh. Becoming one in marriage is, is like becoming one with Christ. It's both immediate and it's a process over time. Um, it's immediate 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So I am new in Christ. I am united to Christ no matter how I feel. My feelings are going to go up and down every day, multiple times a day. None of that changes the fact that I am one with Christ, and that will never change. And the same is true about my marriage. I am one with my wife 
no matter how I feel or no matter how we're doing, we are one. We have been united by God in marriage and we are one. And that is an experience that will continually grow all of our days. I am, I am being changed by Jesus' love. I'm not the same person. My experience of being married to Christ and being united to him is going to grow and increase over time. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, the image of Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. So as that, that word sanctification, as I grow in Christ, my experience of his love for me and being united with him is changing. Um, and I am being made new and I am maturing and I'm growing and I'm not the same man that I was one year ago, 10 years ago. And the same is true in marriage. Like our experience of being married and being one will change and it will grow. And we will learn how to love each other more and submit ourselves to one another more and, and be married. And our experience of it will change. And so we have this beautiful uh, tie before things take a, a big turn in Genesis chapter 3. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You know, we, we might experience tastes of this, um, but we have no idea what that's like. We have absolutely no idea what that's like. To, to feel completely no shame in any way whatsoever. Because in this world, in this life, our default experience is shame, whether we're married or single. To be, to be physically naked in front of somebody, to be ashamed about the way that I look, to be ashamed about the words that I've said or the desires that I harbor in my heart. I'm not getting emotional. I just, <coughs> whew, something You have any water? <laughs> Thank you. Wow. <clears throat> that has never happened before. Okay, um, we're back. Yeah. So where do I go when I have made my marriage or my singleness all about me? <clears throat> where do I go with that shame of what has been done to me and what I've done to other people in that pain? Well, the good news is, um, again, pointing back to our marriage, to our Jesus and I wish he would heal my throat right now. <laughs> Hebrews 12.2 says this. Look to your Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, which is you, which is me, endured the cross, despising its shame. What that means, despising its shame, is, is on the cross, Jesus has taken all of our thoughts, desires, actions, words that are in rebellion against God's goodness, that are selfish and hurtful to other people, and ugly and wicked and twisted and all the other things, and all of that he has taken into himself. He has worn that. 
And he is known for the first time ever what it is to be separated from the love of the Father. That was a new experience for him. And he said, even so, it's, it's worthless. It's nothing compared to the joy of being able to be wedded to my people for all of eternity. So our Jesus, he was naked. He hung naked on a cross to take our shame so that we could stand naked before him and not be ashamed. And I know we we don't fully experience that now, but that's true right now, that we are fully exposed to our Jesus and we, we need to feel no shame because it's all been dealt with. It is finished. We are his. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And now what that love does is it's powerful. It says, we love because he first loved us. So now that his love lives in me and it works powerfully in me, I am now able to love people, whether I'm married or single. I'm able to love people really for the first time ever. And not just like a for you, for me of like, loving people so that I can get what I want from you. If I treat you a certain way, you'll treat me a certain way. Apart from Jesus, that's all really that I can do. But now in Jesus, because he is my life, because he has loved me and I can stand before him fully known and fully loved, I don't need anything from you. And so I can actually love you for the first time. And I can receive love from you in a healthy way for the first time. And so that, that is true. Um, marriage is, is not about us getting our needs filled, and singleness is not about us getting our needs filled. Marriage and singleness are both ways that we receive Jesus and give ourselves to Jesus. And he promises us, in this life, we will experience gaps in what it is to experience his love. We will not fully experience it in this life, whether you're married or single, But he says to us what he said to Paul in 2 Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. I I don't know why he has given each one of us the story that he has. I don't know why he has given each one of us the calling that he has. And some of those on the surface appear and may even be much harder roads and much more painful. I don't know. Because all I know is to live out of my experience. But he, I do know this. He allows us to experience these gaps because he loves us. And he is giving himself to us through these gaps that we experience in love between people. And there is a day coming when there will be no more gaps. Because this wedding between Adam and Eve and every wedding since then, every marriage since then, whether the people involved in it know it or not, is pointing to the wedding where we will all be married to our Jesus. Human, human marriage will not exist in the new heavens and new earth because it is a picture pointing to what we were made for, which is union with God through Jesus. And when that day comes, all of the hopes that we have now, all the desires that we have now, will be finally and forever fulfilled in him. And so now on this side of that, he says, hey, come to me in your pain. Come to me in your suffering. Come to me in your fighting against the calling that I've given you. And let me shepherd you. Let me lead you. And I will and I will never leave you. 
Father, um, thank you for thank you for leading us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us life, Lord. Uh, I pray for my brothers and sisters and I that um, wherever we are on this spectrum, wherever we are in marriage or in singleness, um, whether we are are experiencing your love or we feel like we're not. Um, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you come and meet us exactly where we are and give us exactly what we need and shepherd us and give us abundant life in you? And ask that in your name. Amen. Um, and so now uh, I'm going to call up Quinn. And uh, our brother Quinn is going to talk to us about um, what it, life is like letting Jesus shepherd him in his singleness. Last year, my neighbors invited me over for dinner, and like 10 minutes into me being there, she asked me, she's like, why aren't you married? And I'm like, I'm not married because I'm not married. And she just like looked at me. She was like, she, she didn't get it. And I kind of wanted to ask her like, Carrie, like why is today Sunday? I was like, it's Sunday because it's Sunday. Like, I'm not married. <laughs> and she just like, like just kept staring at me. She did not get it. Because I know it's weird to just like say that as an answer. Um, so like since then, like I thought about it a lot. And I guess like for me, like even just like looking back, like in, in high school and middle school and even college, like when I moved here, um, being single-minded has always been kind of more like, like my natural disposition. Um, and I think it's a combination of just like my personality, how I'm wired. I love freedom and I have pure raging selfishness that I just want what I want, when I want, how I want it. And like, I've, I was never like not interested in dating. It just, it just wasn't like the thing on the shelf that I grabbed for when I wanted to get what I wanted. Like I was interested in stuffing my face with everything else and dating just wasn't one of those things. So I was never against it. I was just like, oh, that's, that's not where I naturally like gravitate. Um, so today, or actually, so like, I guess to summarize, before I knew the Lord, I did know a kind of contentment, but it was just from selfishness. And so like today, knowing the Lord, I do know contentment most of the time, but it is not from stuffing my face with whatever I want. It's from knowing that he satisfies. Um, I made a list of like 35 ways that I've experienced singleness as a profound gift, but none of those things are what I actually want to share, because singleness has been a gift to me, and it's not been a gift to me in the way that I imagined it would be. Um, I would hear that God was father, friend, provider, whatever, and I was thought, who cares? I don't, that doesn't matter. I literally do not care. Like, those are nice, but I don't care. Um, I didn't care about or desire any of those things, because I had no desire to want to care about anything in a gospel-centric way, because, like, I didn't care about the Lord. And I was like, at best, my relationship with him was like so anemic. It was like, I was a believer, but the Holy Spirit grieved over me every freaking day. And the Lord has used the abundance of free time in my singleness primarily as a rehab clinic to show me that I have an affection problem. 
because my greatest and most natural and unsanctified affections are completely 100% all about me. When Jesus is after my affections, he wants to write them and to heal them by giving me clear eyes to see who he is. So that is the biggest of the thousands of ways that singleness has been a gift. And he showed me that I will always have some like soul-sucking affection problem if I'm not clear on who he is. Um, but I won't be clear on who he is if I don't know his character, and I won't know his character if I don't spend time with him, and I won't spend time with him if I don't know that he's trustworthy. And the reason that that was for me was I was afraid that I might lose what I was actually putting my trust in, which was me and my desires and my wants and my comfort and me providing for me on my terms. And so I thought, like, what if I don't have that? Like, what if I don't have life on my terms? Like, I'm just so afraid of what my life might look like if I handed it over to you. And the Lord let me sit in that for years, and it was the suckiest, best gift that I've ever been given. And he answered, yeah, yeah, Quinn, like, what if you don't get what you want? And my answer was like, well, then I won't be okay. And that is exactly how he was helping me acknowledge that my, like, okayness was completely based in what I thought that I needed. And for me, it was comfort, convenient, ease, having stuff that helped me feel safe. Some of those things were good, but they functioned as ultimate, so they were actually my God. But really, like, I was actually my God. And so, it was only through his kindness and mercy and patience towards me that he's given me so much time to be with him, just to get to know him more. Like, not despite me being single, but straight up through me being single. And time with him and in the word and on my face has helped me know his character more. And so when I know his character more, I trust him more. And when I trust him more, that he really is who he says he is, king and savior and friend and father, companion and provider, and our ultimate husband, and all the 35 things that I could have listed out, like, I, that's actually true. And being single can be hard. Like, sometimes I'm alone, and I just don't want to be, and it can be rough. And other times I'm like, thank you, Lord, that I have this solitude because I don't want to be around anybody. And the Lord has showed me that his companionship is for real, and there's not like anything else like that. Like, it's a miracle that I could say that. Um, and so, anyway, it's normal for me to, like, not know rest sometimes in singleness because sometimes it's hard. Um, but if, like, unrest has a kind of, like, dominion in my heart, what does that actually say about my greatest affection? Or how my desires can so easily steer and rule my life. So the Lord has gently and surgically confronted me with the question, where are the places, Quinn, that you say to yourself, if I don't have X, fill in the blank, then you won't be okay. And that question is relevant to everybody, to me, to you, single, married, it doesn't matter because we all have affection problems. So in a lot of ways, like this has nothing to do with my singleness and everything to do with how the Lord changes hearts to help me see him for who he is, regardless of what my looks, what my life looks like. And this is a, like, I can grieve deeply and not be bound by it kind of story. Like, this is not a singleness story. This is look at Jesus and experience how light his burden is story. So because of that, the Lord has transformed me and is transforming me from just loving singleness because I can do whatever, which is really just rooted in my selfishness and pride to him shaping me to say, if there is more gospel leverage in me being single, then thank you for how you've allowed me to swim in that ocean. Please shape my heart to make it more like yours, and thank you for your grace. Or if there's more gospel leverage in me being married 
and joining arms with someone so you're made more known than give both of us eyes to see and wisdom to see it and shape my heart to be more like yours so that she would actually love you more than she loves me and I need your grace and I need her grace in it. And so like that kind of greater affection that he's birthed in me is, is um, where I might make him most known, not where I have the most comfort and not where all of my dreams are gonna come true. So um, what he has made clear is that true rest and life and peace and joy and satisfaction is in him, not the things that he does, not the things that he gives, and it's not found anywhere outside of him. Um, in Psalm 62, it says, pour out your heart before him because God is a refuge for us. And that is really good news because that means I can run to him exactly where I am with all my desires and dreams and wants and questions and aches, big and small, and say, Lord, here's everything in my heart. Here's the things that I want. And I know that you hear me because I know that you're telling the truth when you say that you hear me. And I know that you give good gifts, and I know that you're better than those gifts. Thank you for your loving grace and correction when I turn my head to myself when what I want is outside of your really good and really perfect will. And thank you for holding me so tightly because of Jesus, regardless of where my head is looking. But would you cause me to repent and rest so deeply in you? And would you make your reality more and more clear and real to me? And do not stop until I'm with you. So I need you to pray that for me, like literally every single day. And I want to pray that for you because like that's the body. And this is just like 100% what we do. So anyway, I'd love to share more, talk, listen, dig into this. Um, but if singleness has been hard for you, um, uh, I hope this is encouraging. This is one sliver of my experience with it. Um, and Jesus is completely sufficient. And it is literally a miracle that that could be coming out of my mouth because like he's completely for real. So love you guys. So uh, followers of Jesus talk about the already and the not yet, that we get to experience foretastes of God's love for us in Jesus right now, but the fullness of that is, is not yet. So hear this benediction, these good, this good word from your Jesus to you, um, the not yet and then the already. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And our Jesus says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen.